I'm Trin Collins, and welcome to the podcast, More Friends. Here, we will be reconnecting with the artists and writers who have come to the island over the past 10 years. Lighthouse Works is a nonprofit dedicated to giving amazing people the time and space to focus on their work. Each month on the podcast, I'll interview a former fellow, diving deeply into who they are and the themes they keep returning to in their work. We aim to share with you our friends, these lovely and marvelous thinkers and makers who we've met over the years. After or during the episode, make sure to visit our website, lighthouseworks.us, for more content, including images or links to some of the topics we cover. So let's get started. Chi Gao is a writer who lives and works in New York City. I'm a huge fan of her work, and it's always fun and insightful to catch up. Today, we talked about personal essays, the power of naming things, quote, the loneliest loneliness, and shallot pasta. If you've ever thought to yourself, who is this voice living inside my head? Then this episode is for you. How are you? How is New York? I'm good. Um, Yeah. How are you doing? I'm good. It's a rainy day out here on the island. Same here. Yeah, today's a little bit gloomy. (laughs) I like rainy days other than the fact that um, it means my daughter needs to entertain herself inside, which is hard. But (laughs) do you what are your feelings on rainy days? Um, I guess, you know, usually I like to take a little bit walk afternoon. Um, Because I feel if I stay inside for too long, and then I kind of, you know, start like, thinking stuff. So um, (laughs) ideally, you know, I'm actually thinking about having a dog just because I feel I need something or someone to help me, you know, like go outside and do something. Um, (laughs) That a dog will help you do that um, (laughs) until you decide that it's annoying and you don't want to take the dog out anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I I want to ask you um, a whole bunch of questions today. Um, I read all the stuff you sent me and it was so fun to read. Um, Oh, thank you. And um, one of the questions I wanted to ask um, was about the piece called Tennessee, um, which seems like one of the newer ones that you'd sent me, right? Definitely. Okay. Um, and I really enjoyed it. And I, I feel like, um, especially, you know, you wrote it during the pandemic. Um, and so it's kind of talking about the pandemic, um, in this way where you're not really directly talking about it, which I like, um, cause we're probably all so sick of like talking about the pandemic. (laughs) Yeah. I, um, don't even want to use that word, (laughs) but also... (laughs) think what other you know words or you know different ways to describe that situation without using that word um yeah your feeling is correct it's definitely it's actually a piece that I'm working on right now it started you know when I was in that residency it's actually a residency um I think what's it called it's um 
Oh, I'm so bad. I, That's I, okay. I know you, the- can, you can send it to me <laughs> later. Um, but the, the story sort of you're, you go down south to Tennessee to like stay in this chicken coop where there's no electricity um, or water, I guess I'm assuming. Yeah, it's um, definitely something I, I've been wanting to do even before, you know, the world has changed. Um, and I think, I guess just as a New Yorker who has lived in the city for a couple of years, and they start to feel, I don't know, I guess in a simple way, just start to feel your life is like losing touch or not understanding what is the reality. And also with the larger environment, um, you know, like since 2016, it kind of feel everything is just chaotic with lots of noise. And every time when I read, um, you know, in our like classes, we read um, like nature writing. And that's the part I could never relate to. And oftentimes, you know, just reading the first couple of pages or like, it's kind of boring. <laughs> and I think also because my life experience, you know, I, I grew up in China. And even though I tell everyone, oh, it's a very, very small town, but it's like 3 million population. Um, oh my I mean, God, that's, that's like Chinese center. <laughs> so I just never understand, um, you know, like anything, like the farming, the nature, um, it just feels so alien to me. And then there's, you know, in the essay I describe, I truly, you know, uh, think about the joke. Um, when I was in middle school, um, that if you ask the American kids, where do eggs come from? And most people would say, like, supermarkets. And then later, I just realized I slowly become this average American person (laughs) that I don't know things, you know, where they come from. And I also have a hard time just um, grabbing my reality in a way. So I was thinking about, okay, I'm going to apply a few residencies um, in the South or just in the sort of nature setting. And then in 2020, lots of residencies just like closed. Uh, and that was one place that was still available. Um, and the person who's running that residency, Erin, um, is just amazing. And she's a professor at University of Tennessee. And she said she always wanted to, you know, just buy like over 40 acres of land and have, you know, goats, dogs, chicken, ducks. Um, have a residency um yeah so that's how i got there and spent two and a half weeks um but it was such a precious time and place to be when you feel like outside world is truly crazy yeah because with no electricity there's no wi-fi there's no charging your phone it's like you're stuck with yourself yeah they do have a mean um like there's a mean farmhouse where oh. they do have all these, you know, Wi-Fi, everything. But then they also have, they call it coop. Um, I think it's more like a cabin where you walk sort of, you know, from a distance and you stay there. Um, in that cabin, there's truly nothing else. Um, <laughs> it was such a learning experience. You know, I hardly realized 
like we need light, we need electricity. Um, I guess the first night I just realized, oh, the, the, when the night gets dark, um, you can't do anything. You can't read. It's like your and, day ends. Yeah. And then I think about, you know, all the people who lived before the electricity, like what do they do to entertain themselves, you know, for a couple hours before going to sleep? Um, I think a lot of them just went right to sleep because <laughs> they had to get up when the sun came up. Um, I, it's funny in reading the essay, there were a couple of things that struck me. One of which was, um, uh, you wrote, I have to talk to myself, the scariest of all. And I think that's kind of true. Like modern society has created all this, um, distraction, right? Like movies and internet and like whatever it is. And it's all awesome. I I partake in it. <laughs> um, I'm watching Bridgerton right now, which I, <laughs> you know, it's like a lobotomy. It's like, it's all good. I use it. But I, I also know that, um, you know, being disconnected from the self for too long, it can create all sorts of trouble. And so I think like, um, it's it's interesting to connect, um, you know, having the experience without electricity or, you know, a toilet. You have to walk to the toilet. Suddenly all these small things, you just become connected to things more. Like maybe your body, like, oh, going to the toilet is this thing that, like, I have to, like, focus on now. It's an totally. activity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, it's... I guess that's something I always think about in different pieces of, you know, writing. And I think essay writing essentially is to um, discover something about yourself. Because, you know, in the essay, there's only I to, I mean, personal essay, there's only I to carry through everything. And everything is filtered through the perspective of I. And... I'm always interested, you know, who is that I? Um, in that sentence, I said, oh, I know there's a performing I where, you know, we uh, show up in the world and how we talk to other people, how we talk at work and to our family. Um, but there's also a reflective I um, where it's kind of, you know, like making comments or judgments upon that performance I. Um, then I think oftentimes we don't want them to have a conversation. That's why, you know, after a long day of work or whatever, I just also <laughs> want to, you know, watch an episode of Netflix and fall asleep. Yes. Uh, I don't want to think about that. But when, you know, Netflix is not available, even reading is not available or podcast is not available to help you fall asleep. Um, then you start, you know, thinking about things and that can be scary. (laughs) (laughs) Um, in the essay, you talked about, um, Hannah Arendt. Is that how you say her name? Yeah. Um, and I loved this idea of the thinking ego. So you, you sort of articulated it as being like the invisible interior voice, um, which to me is like the whole whole thing about memoir is that like I want to be inside somebody's head and 
And when I find the right head to be inside of, it's the best because then you you take away this like loneliness of being kind of your own witness to your own life. Um, and you feel like, okay, I'm there's someone else out there that has a similar interior voice. And so I like to read your stuff because I feel like it um there's a familiarity of the interior voice that I really enjoy. Thank you. I think that's the pleasure of, you know, reading and maybe also the pleasure of writing is to open up that space to really think about, you know, how creating a conversation between performing eye and the self-reflective eye. Um, I started reading her work and I, you know, in any way, totally not an expert, but I was reading um, her book and in which she was talking about that thinking ego. And, you know, she was writing about why, say, like, people like you and me cannot be a murderer. <laughs> um, <laughs> because if we, say, you know, kill someone, and eventually there will be a time that you all by yourself are going to think about the action that we do. And that reflect, reflective eye will not be okay, you know. And then you're always going to live in the self-conflict way. Um, and so in the way, bottom line is we don't want to contradict ourselves. And... I think that kind of leads to the whole conversation of loneliness. Um, actually, before you know the pandemic, I took a seminar. It's called Understanding Loneliness. Um, we often think about loneliness as, you know, like I'm all by myself. I don't have anyone to talk to or not engaging social events, and that's why I'm lonely. But it's actually... It's not about engaging with other people. It's engaging with yourself. It's, you know, have that, having that harmony between these two eyes um, that, you're, that once they come have conversation and be content with each other, um, you wouldn't feel lonely. Um, loneliness is actually when you don't let them talk to each other and they're being isolated. And in the way it's, self-isolation it's denial (laughs) (laughs) you know like when one part of yourself knows something and you want to keep it from this other part of yourself you know um is very destructive and i if we go down the therapy route i will i'll i'll begin talking about it too much but i um what's interesting about the the murderer thing that you were talking about is like then it becomes connected to this whole other thing which is like ethics and like is there shared ethics and you know your undergraduate degree is in philosophy so i think like this is a big part of probably how you're approaching like your day-to-day world would you say that's true yeah totally I guess that's why I find essay writing is so therapeutic and it's a way to ask these questions. Um, 
I think what's interesting about personal essay is it's always, you know, everything that the events or dramas or everything that happened has already happened. So when you start writing, you're always looking back, you know, to think about, talk about the things that have already happened. Then the question become, you know, why, why am I doing that? Was there something interesting that keeps me sort of pulling me back? And I think that's always, you know, they're like, to again to eyes the self who undergo certain experiences and then there's this supposed self who writes about this or decides or wants to write about these um i think that's something that interests me you know why why do i want to do this <laughs> and it's an interesting problem right like because like the thing i find so cool about memoir is this thing where it plays with um, you know, our perceptions of the truth, right? This is a true story. Um, but of course it's not capital T true story because that kind of doesn't exist. And really what we're talking about is like someone's perception of what happened to them and they could have written it a thousand kajillion different ways that could say different stuff. And so it's kind of interesting, um, I don't know. There's just like that disconnect there of like why you chose to write about this thing, even in that small little story. It's just, um, I like the idea that there's like so much space, even within honesty. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. I feel this is totally, you know, like a conversation I will have with my therapist as well. <laughs> <laughs> it's um I think writing you know like personal essay or nonfiction writing um again it's not just about what happened it's about how you make of what happened mm -hmm. so I think in therapy they also talk about like a narrative or perspective um the things happen when you're, you know, 18 or 20, and then you keep remembering it because you probably think of it in a certain way. But maybe today you're more mature, you start to have, you know, more different perspectives, you start to like forgive yourself or understand yourself or understand other people. And, and I think that's what makes writing interesting and also that's why people want to read these because there's certain you know wisdom to be learned right we want to understand how other people's journey to be a better person or more honest person um, to reflect upon these experiences yeah and right like time also keeps moving to that point so like um you know in a way, it's almost like the essay that you would write about Tennessee last year is a different essay that you would write about Tennessee 10 years from now. And so I think that that's like, not to get too cheesy, but like, I actually think that this is one of the most exciting things about making things or art is it becomes this kind of like little monument to something and it kind of freezes it in time. 
You know, like if I make a painting based on a memory, like it's kind of freezing it in time and that I can go visit that. And not that it's going to be exactly the same, but I'm going to see exi- I'm going to see what I saw at that moment. And it might disappear if I hadn't have done that. And so like, I don't know, it's weird. It, it's interesting. Um, uh, it's very human and it makes me feel like, oh my God, time is, time is going. My brain is changing. You know, it's like my perceptions of things is, are changing. It's, it's a wild thing. Exactly. Um, I think in writing, you know, it comes with different drafts. Um, like the Tennessee essay, um, that was an early draft. Um, but so today when I'm working on it, um, I can't wait to, you know, share a final product with you. Yes. <laughs> it's, it, it also kind of surprises me if I'm, you know, look back and some say already published essays and then when I think about the early draft it's you know if something happened say three days later I started writing about it it's just a completely different version or you know perspective than say two years later and writing about it um yeah you just make me think of um the writer I really like Eula Biss um yeah, she said, um, I says, age with you. And I think that's just such a... Say it again? Beaut- um, her name, Eula No, Biss. no, the, the next thing. What does yeah, she say? She said, I says, age with I you. I says, age with you. Oh, interesting. And I think that's just such a beautiful thing to... No. Because you can do, because you can rewrite it. Is that why? Um, that I think the. Or that I, it's I that thing that, where you're, it's like this fixed point in time where you can see how you've aged, right? Like, like, I can't believe I articulated something like that back then. I would never write a sentence like that now. Yeah. Yeah. And I think. There's something about um, the older, you know, or the time you have, um, then your perspective becomes more clear. And it's almost some, something that happened in your life. Like you said, it can have, you know, 10,000 different ways of writing about it. But maybe, you know, it's almost... I guess it's also a cheesy thing. I hear lots of writers say that, that you have to become the person to write, you know, certain books or essays that until you reach that point, you realize that thing, it's supposed to be what's, what's like on the page. I think also like you probably have to summon as you're writing, like a lot of like vulnerability. Because in order to get the product that you want that has impact, it's like you have to be really revealing about all of your thoughts. You know, that's kind of the juice behind it all. Yeah. And I think, you know, I hear some writers say, like, personal essay is almost the opposite of social media. (laughs) 
because on social media we want to present you know the best um, the happiest the perfect version um, in front of other people in front of the world but in essay writing you know if you write in that way the readers wouldn't believe it and you just feel that's not like a genuine you know feeling or thought process and you have to show that part you don't want to engage, right? The ugly part, um, the selfish part. And you have to also expose yourself to show that you are, you know. Um, yeah, the most like human that, part of us is like the most yeah. fucked up part. So it's like we all just <laughs> need to be like, I'm also messed up. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's like reading some, you know, stories um i'm trying to think of one that they say you know oftentimes we like to think of ourselves as the victims of the circumstances but you also when you get you know have the distance and time to reflect upon and i think in order to you know have the essay that has more volume you have to recognize you know you have some power as well and just you know like a different dimensions of i um if you can you know show the different sides of that and i think that just makes an essay more interesting to read instead of like a you know very straightforward narrative yeah um okay so i have a question about when when did you feel like you figured out that the personal essay or maybe like quasi memoir was like right for you. Cause I'm sure there was a period of time where you thought like, no, I'm, 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 I'm writing something else. Totally. That's exactly my like journey. <laughs> I think I, when I first, you know, started my grad school and um, also coming from the philosophy background, I, felt oh I'm gonna write about philosophy in a way almost I mean it's today's be realizing oh I have so much insecurities um that we always want to sound smart on the page and just like look at how smart I am I have something important to say or you know worth saying um and I definitely don't want to sort of use I, uh, almost like try not to draw attention to me. But it's almost after I finished my program and I just realized personal essays are the things I like to read the most. And I start to realize everything, even for, you know, some analytical essays, or commenting on world affairs, but everything is filtered through the perspective I. Um, and also, you know, reading George Orwell, he was reporting the Spanish War, and right at the beginning, he kind of put himself out there, you know, describing his experience um, as a soldier. And I just really love reading that and even for you know lots of reportage um there's so many reporters i just like sort of the story focus on people like individuals and they're also not afraid of bringing themselves up front and saying this is almost showing you this how 
or why they're feeling or thinking things in a certain way. And that's when I felt, okay, maybe I can, you know, do this as well. And I just realized, oh, this is totally, you know, the form. I, I just fall in love with the form. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have one thing. So your microphone is rubbing against your... Um, I think your shirt maybe a little bit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh. I can just hear it and I know that it's one of those things that our tech guy is going to be like, hey. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm going to pull in it a little bit. <laughs> um, you, I, I did a little like Googling around on the internet and I found that thing that you wrote, um, why you write in English. And you do mention the George Orwell essay, or at least one essay, um, and uh, and this idea of like failure and like this sort of like the the um, power of like the act of like articulating. And um, I was just wondering if you could talk a little bit about that because I just I. I really relate to that, that like the struggle to articulate something actually is kind of the, um, is, is the thing that makes the thing worth like being made in the first place. Totally. Um, I mean, his essay is titled Why I Write, um, which is such a, you know, classic reading and, um, later Joan Didion. Um, borrow the same title why I write and so she has her also wonderful piece of essay so now when I'm teaching I always either you know start a class with sharing these two essays or end the class with these two essays kind of you know think about yeah why I write um, I think to me when I start thinking about this it was when I was in graduate school and I think not only I have to answer why I write, but also as a, you know, person whose first language is not English, um, why I write in English. And so it, it just opened up lots of conversations about, you know, my personal choice and in the larger way, um, almost like a political choice as well. Um, I definitely feel it's it feels, you know, freer, even though it's almost, you know, like I said, still today, I feel lots of times when I say things, I wonder if it feels like almost like a childish, <laughs> like using the words, even when I write, I find, you know, I, I like to use the word I feel comfortable with. And I just always wonder, does it read like um, high schoolers <laughs> <laughs> writing to, you know, some people? But I also like that um, because it's like the unknown, because I can't fully almost understand the, the depth of things. And I feel it gives me such freedom to try. Um, it also, I feel like, lets you probably enter the the act of building a sentence or building a thought like from more of like a raw place like you're not maybe bringing in like um maybe 
like some pre-existing notions about like, you know what, this word usually follows this word, you know, so that in some ways, if I'm like a native English speaker, like that's my first language and I'm reading something and it does have a little like something that I stumble on. I think that that's like, it's almost like the, um, it breaks the spell, you know, like I'm sort of like, oh, words are this thing and they, and they do something. And, and if they fall out of line, then suddenly you become aware of just even the act of creating it in the first place. You know what I mean? Like, I actually think it's kind of powerful. Yeah, I think it also takes so much pressure off me in a <laughs> strange way. <laughs> like, I would say most of my first drafts are like baby talk. It's very simple <laughs> sentence like, I don't like, you know, this. Um, and I know lots of, um, you know, my writer friends and they have lots of, I don't know, the pressure of like early drafts being very messy and I don't feel embarrassed at all because I feel I'm not meant to be perfect. That's awesome. Um, and also, it's, you know, I, I always feel like very hard to write and finish essays. But to me, I feel writing is supposed to be a struggle to me. Um, and that, that actually gave me so much freedom um, to think, yeah, because it's not something... Um, like I was born with. So I allow myself to spend many months and to, you know, maybe work on one page or one paragraph and that's okay. Um, yeah. That's cool. No, I think that's great. And I, I feel like across the board, like no matter the medium, I think like people will often come to the realization that like, oh, failure, right? Like missteps actually create unexpected cool stuff and so you kind of have to allow yourself to go there and look stupid or write something kind of embarrassing or you know try out a word that might make you sound stupid it's like it's okay <laughs> you know <laughs> I feel like whenever I'm teaching I used to teach drawing um, and whenever I would teach my students it was a lot of me having to coach them like hey push that judging ego self out of the room, like you just have to get rid of them for a little while. They'll come back and they'll they'll tell you what they think of the piece. But like, you know, you just have to give yourself enough space to just do the thing. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I have some kind of random questions that I like to ask. Sure. <laughs> um, do you have a book or a writer that you're like, everybody's got to read this? So many. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, we talked about Maggie Nelson before. I know. Um, she's so good. Yeah. I. There's just so many writers. Um, you know, I like her because um, when I was, I was thinking about the personal and the philosophical um, part of writing... And before, I always find, I guess also from my workshop experience, it seems I always have to try to find the connection or the link to guide readers through, um, you know, like 
say one page I'm talking about uh, myself and in a very specific experience and the next paragraph how does that relate to um, you know Socrates um, but the first time when I was reading her book and I realized she she was not doing that and it's totally not even important or necessary it's almost like you're over you know thinking oh readers don't get it uh, I have to like pave the the way for them to get into um, and I think that comes with such confidence or attitude and I think that's what I like about writing is you know um, I remember I was reading one of her paragraph and the sentence started with she was talking to a friend or something and the next sentence she was talking about Wigginston I'm like yeah and that's totally makes sense to me and I you know me as a reader I can just um, continue the paragraph I don't need to question why <laughs> we jump there um, again, that gives me so much freedom um, to feel, yeah, th if that's, you know, the kind of thinking I'm doing in my brain, um, then it's totally okay to show that um, to readers. Yeah, and that she can, like, um, trust the reader, right? Like, that she's like, you're, you're smart enough to follow me down this road. And, like, you know, I think that stuff that is quasi- um, autobiographical like I also think is hits people differently at different times so like I read her bluets I think when I it was really impactful where I felt very similar to the way she felt in that book and I was like oh my god amazing and then I read Argonauts at the wrong time and I was like this is not hitting me the way I wanted to and I'm like mad at it and then I've started to reread it now as a parent and I'm like Oh my god, it's brilliant. You know what I mean? It's a little bit like um uh it's just it's crazy. It's it's a headspace, it's a different headspace and she has changed and become a different person. So she's going to say and articulate things differently. Like the tone of Argonauts is so different. Yeah, yeah. And, and I'm trying to back go ahead. I'm just trying to go through freedom now and I'm like, "Oh, this is even more different." <laughs> Yeah, and it kind of circles back what we talked about earlier. You're saying the time, right? Like uh, the the creator in different time period have different things in their mind, and the reader also have a different time period, uh, whatever happening in their life. So when there's a match, and it's just such a delicious feeling that so delicious, my mind. Yeah, I know. I almost want someone to just have like. Because sometimes I'm out there groping around trying to find that match. You know, I'm like, where is it? And sometimes you end up reading things or sort of half reading things and you think like, Ugh, this isn't what I'm looking for. It's like trying to find that song. You know? <laughs> yeah. um, but there's probably something to be said about not having it always match. But yeah, um, there's another writer I have to um, mention is um, Peter Hessler. Um, oh, okay. So that was one of the things that I didn't, I hadn't read that essay you sent me about Peter Hessler. But that's totally, you know, of what you just described that in college, you know, after living in America for a couple of years, um, when I think after college, a friend of mine recommended his book and said, you know, he's this amazing journalist, writer, um, and he writes about China. 
uh, you should read it. And my first, without even you know uh, looking into the book, I like the title of the book is The Oracle Bones. And I immediately had a very strong rejection. I like no. <laughs> the last thing I want to read is you know this uh, white American journalist lived in China for a couple of years and so he's <laughs> had enough to say. Um, I think back then I also had that feeling, almost like being a Chinese person um, is something so personal and so that no one could possibly understand me. <laughs> Which is also a selfish, narcissistic feeling. But you know, my friend said, "Well, he's really good, and you can start reading it and decide what you like it or not."、Um, and my, I think my that kind of rejection also makes.、Um, I think my rejection is oftentimes I look at the books, even you know, just going to a bookstore and see like. Different journalists or writers talking about like world affairs. It's always this、um, a Western ideology that you know they live in foreign country for a couple of years and they feel they have the access to the people or the culture, and but their mind frame is still this Western、um, democratic. Thinking and almost like imposing that way to explain、um, or to make certain judgments, and and also the audience, I suppose, is you know like American readers. And but the strange thing is, when I started reading his reporting, his book, and again, that's what makes narrative nonfiction so fascinating, is I. Feel he understands me more than you know, almost my parents. <laughs> <laughs> That no one. It's almost I live through the experience as a Chinese person, but、um, eventually it's this American guy who can you know translate that or interpret that experience so well. And now, I would say the subject in his book, sort of.、Um, Is similar to my, you know, growing up experience, but I think his reporting technique and writing approach is again to, you know, he writes about his students. He、uh, would like take a cab and then talk to the taxi driver, and eventually follow him <laughs> to his home, and all these subjects are all people that he personally knows. And he cares about them. So in a way, while you're read, you're reading it, you do wonder where is that line? Like you know, the journalists say like you're reporting something, the subject, and then where's that ethical line? And but to him, I feel everything is just personal. But also through like each individual's story, you can see so much of the whole cultural, social, political shift. That he doesn't need to say like this is what's happening, but just you know through reading individual stories and their decision makings、um, in their circumstances, and I think that's the kind of reading that I just really like.、Um, and he continued doing that, so he's you know definitely the one of the reporters I will always read. 
um, oh, cool. whenever they have something new to say. I got to look that up. And you know, what will happen, so this this episode will be up on our website and then we'll have like links and stuff. So I can like have a link to um, that book and and some of your essays. So hopefully when people listen, they feel like, oh, they can go out and, and explore some of That's the stuff awesome. that we've talked about. Yeah, because I feel like I always listen to stuff and then I'm like, oh, right, I want to I wanna click on that or I want to read it and then right. I never do. <laughs> um, okay. I was thinking a lot about, okay, so in college, I took a couple of courses in philosophy, which totally intimidated me. Um, and I took this one called um, Philosophy in the Novel by this and this hilarious teacher that um was clearly over teaching so we'd show up <laughs> she would never read anyone's paper until the abs like a week after the semester ended it was like <laughs> then you'd get your like grade um she just really embodied a lot of her philosophical ideals where she was like grades are meaningless um anyway she was wild uh, and our course was wild. So we would read novels and then discuss the ethics inside the novel, which I don't know if that's a normal thing to do or not, but it was wild because you're in this room full of strangers and you're talking about things that are really personal. Um, and so it just made me think a lot about um, some of your essays and how there's a lot of like um, how in your own words, ethical complexity and so um, I <laughs> I was thinking about like, um, do you have like a, a favorite like ethical conundrum that you often kind of struggle with? That's such a good question. But also about your class, and this sounds like a fascinating class. Um, it sounds like... Um, you know that philosopher who's teaching at um, University of Chicago, Martha Newsbaum, if I pronounced her last name correctly. I think um, she had this theory that novel or you know storytelling is when we talk about theory or ethical um, discussions that we often think of this, you know, like saying justice that's a very sort of vague concept that if we just talk about what is just um and it's you know it's hard to 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 engage and to think of but novel writing or storytelling give us that channel to think in this specific situation you know what would would did what would we do, and that's kind of the appealing of reading stories. Um, it gives us sort of empathy, right? To be able to understand, um, you know, say like a war refugee. We kind of know, okay, it's sad, it's bad. But if you read a specific story, you really understand um, their situation and have specific characters in mind. Um, but go back to your question. I'm not <laughs> sure, but I, I think recently I think a lot about justice. Um, justice. I think about trauma. Um, 
and I start um, reading some literatures on trauma, and I, you know, and then you, I don't know, it's not like a fully formed idea, but I just think about because I, you know, personally、um, been through some trauma, and then you wonder、um, what's the end to that. Um, is there、Or、any how that shares like shapes selfhood? That's something I've been thinking a lot about. Exactly,、um, and how does our sense of justice, you know, come along、um, to? I don't know. You call it closure, or、um, yeah, how does it shape your life? How at what point you would say that you have enough? The feeling of Just in this, that you feel your life could、um, move on, or you know, yeah. That's interesting that you're linking the two because I feel like those are in my head like separate things. Like justice is this like almost like societal closure. You know, it's like it's a court case. It's a you know a retaliation like a a murder. It's just like a, it's a big thing. Where I'm like trauma so small. It's like it's so personal, it's so internal, and I almost feel like, at least in my thinking and reading lately,、um, and it's depressing. But I think might be true is like the only way you get closure on any trauma is like really you have to do it inside yourself. You know, like you don't. Even if there is a court case, or even if someone goes to jail, or even if you tell that person like, "Not again," you know, it's like it actually doesn't. the The trauma is, I think, going back to what we were talking about before. The moment when that ego splits and you like can't get them to talk again, um, it's like. Because it was really painful, and that was a way to survive whatever the trauma was was to like kind of separate the feelings from the sort of like the presenting self,、um, and and I just、um, I don't know. I always come back to this idea, and it's it's I find it cruel that like it kind of is all it's all inside. It's all work that's inside, and it can feel very lonely. Yeah, I, you know, want to go back to. I remember also in college,、uh, we're reading Republic, and there's this whole chapter conversation. You know, Socrates just walks around and asks questions and kind of start this whole conversation. <laughs> And he will ask, you know, what is justice? What is just? And whenever someone come up with the answer, and then they would challenge that, and then just continue, you know, that conversation.、Um, if I remember correctly, I think the conversation slowly develops into this more. I think they all agree justice is、um, sort of practice doing just things. Or being a just person,、um, I want to connect that to trauma because I think 
trauma, like you said, is so personal, but it's also it's you know caused by something else, and um, it's definitely you know the the job of say healing is when we decide that um, sort of the work on ourselves, but also how do we address the the source of the trauma, the cause of trauma, um, or can a person or you know like talking about the world events now uh, truly be healed or without addressing the justice then how how does that you know connect it to the healing yeah i mean i in this regard not to like go down too many rabbit holes but um i think a lot about secrets like family secrets and secrets we have about ourselves and that cause like shame, right? And then shame causes like more trauma. <laughs> like it just sort of. And so I I feel like for many years I was sort of like really into this idea of like radical honesty. You know, that that would cleanse me of, you know, shame or guilt or whatever it was. Um and even that felt like it had some failure, but in a way, at least it got some air in, you know? <laughs> it's like Yeah, it's so interesting. That's what I've been thinking about all I think um in the past I would say two, three years, it's again that thing about like practicing writing is about saying things. It's you know, um or have an honest voice and that would require you become an honest person. And of all the said, you know, all the secrets, and I have a, a ton load of that as well. And I almost felt that I haven't thought of before that maybe, you know, years before the decision of wanting to learn how to write. Um, actually, you know, my maybe there's an inner motive to want to say something, want to write about something, even though you know the 24 year old me didn't know that yet or thought oh i'm gonna write about philosophy or some intellectual stuff and it's all those years you know to now i realized yeah these are the things that i actually want to talk about um and it probably takes years of courage um and you know different stuff to say oh, I do want to have that honesty uh, in my life and also in my writing. Yeah, it's it's really hard. I think that a lot of artists struggle with that. And I, you know, I have memories of like, I don't know, we had some assignment in lower school where we had to write something. And I wrote something about my family and my my parents read it and they got really upset with me that I was sharing, you know, family stuff with the world. and um. I, as a parent now, can totally get it. I'm like, you know, you get on both sides of the argument eventually. But um, uh, I do think ever since then I have this little bit like, oh, well, that's private, you know. But it's like there's so much power in that, right, that even kids really kind of realize the power and that they have to be careful or whatever. And it's... um. It's really interesting. And I think like, oh, how ironic, you know, their daughter turned into like an artist and like, it's like <laughs> um, attempting to be super vulnerable um, all the time. It's just, um, 
it's funny how I think uh, if you let that internal, um, you know, invisible interior self lead you around, I do think it's smart. It does. It does get you where you need to go. <laughs> yeah, I think it just again go goes back to. I think naming things is powerful. Mm. Um, words are powerful that probably I know and so many other people know, say like writing about something doesn't really solve the actual problem we have in life. But yeah, but if we can put the right word or the words that we feel right to us, to the experience, to the feeling or to the thoughts that we, it's almost, you know, a validation or acknowledgement of that. And that is powerful. <laughs> I think it is powerful. And it's powerful too when you do stumble across those books where you think like, wow, like I'm, you know, this person created something, they named something, and and now I feel like more part of the human experience because um, I know what that feels like. The circumstances might not be exactly the same, but like it's pretty the feelings are the same exactly and when you talk about shame that's just such a i feel again being a chinese person i feel that's like part of <laughs> the package of being a chinese person the shame is so large and so heavy uh that it's not just about the shame of you it's if you you know say things it's the shame of your whole family your family name um you know we often in our family or i guess in general in the culture talk about saving face you know like your face your family face is way more important than things and than any other things um yeah so i do there is you know definitely lots of fear if i um, I think writing different materials comes with different challenges. You know, writing about like that Tennessee experiences, it requires, I think it's just lots of my mind work to think about what exactly what I was thinking, what question am I asking, and what am I looking for in that piece. And then there are some other pieces maybe simply just like a narrative, more narrative, like telling certain experience or telling a story. But maybe it just requires more of heart or the emotional of, of what exactly I'm afraid of. What, what do I really want to say here? And constantly feel, you know, give yourself a pat on the shoulder. Like, it's okay. At this point, no one's going to read. Um, it's okay to to express, you know, feelings and to say the fact, yeah, to tell the truth. <laughs> yeah. I've been thinking a lot about, and I, I went back and reread um, a survey of my right arm. Um, and I was kind of wondering, like, is your arm okay now? Yes, they okay. are. <laughs> Um, I'm going to also put a link to that story um, on there because it's it's so great. And I remember reading it when you were here and just feeling like um, it was uh, 
so fun to read. Thank you. It, it is funny that after it's um, published or when I do a reading and people would come up to me and offer, you know, their uh, assessments or remedies. <laughs> uh, would... <laughs> oh and I feel like my right arm gets so much attention than any other body parts. <laughs> <laughs> people will know what we're talking about when they read the essay, but you, you, um, like sort of lost the use of one of your arms. And did you ever figure out exactly what it was? Was it carpal tunnel? It's kind of like a mix of a bunch of things. And eventually it was, um, I met this therapist, a physical therapist in Minnesota. And he was working with even like Viking teams, you know, player. And so he's just very good. He's like, oh, the problem's not your arm, it's your shoulder. Because you don't have the right posture, then your arm is like doing the actual work and being like compromised. I thought you were um, going to say, he was going to say, the problem is not your arm, it's your brain. <laughs> it's, like it's, your, it's your head. Your, it's a mental block. Yeah. But I think that's something... Um, it's just whenever something goes wrong, we always, you know, like to think of what exactly caused this. Is it always like, is it me? Is it, um, you know, something like a physical or even spiritual? Um, why, why this? Why me? We have to have answers. That's, that's, we gotta know. And I, <laughs> I'll tell you, there's this, I think, when I was pregnant, um, you get to a point where you're like, I don't know what's causing what. And so um, you just sort of have to make peace with the fact that like, I'm only slightly in control. <laughs> um, you know, I'm going to ask you something else. Here's a weird question for you. If you could eat one food for the rest of your life, if you had to, what would it be? Oh, maybe some sort of um, pasta because I'm such a noodle person. Oh. And recently okay. I find this really easy, good recipe from YouTube. <laughs> that I'm even impressed <laughs> by myself. Is it, it involved feta? Um, no, it's this. Um, I learned about this chef from reading a New Yorker article about her. It's a profile about her. Um, her name is Alison Roman. Um, she was, you know, doing home videos um, in her teeny tiny apartment, which I think that's partially why she's so popular. You know, it's not like a professional chef and doing like, you know, use all professional tools. It's just a, in a regular New York apartment that we can all relate to. And then she briefly got canceled. So now she's trying to, but she's still doing her video. And then so sometimes I still watch her, you know, making pastas. Um, yeah. But what's the pasta? What, what do you have to do? With it? <laughs> That's what I want to know. So I think her most popular one is a shallot pasta and that's so popular that even Taylor Swift tried and liked it so much and um, What's in it? it's basically just like um, tomato paste and shallots lots of shallots and anchovy 
my husband makes this. Oh. It's so good. And it's spicy. Yeah, it's really, really good. And I figured, oh, if Taylor Swift can do it, which I don't think she cooks much, <laughs> then I can do it. Um, and then she has this new pasta. Again, it's just a bunch of like very, just all the things I like. And it's, you know, very easy, like garlic, um, shallots, anchovy, um, lots of olive oil and butter. Um, yeah, I just make it, you know, like a thickened sauce. And then with the pasta, it's just so good. <laughs> All right, but I enjoy I enjoy this workaround where it's just pasta. You can do any you can have different stuff within the pasta realm. <laughs> yeah. I feel all my friends know I just love noodles so much. Um, you know, like the pasta and like ramen and that's kind of my like a chicken noodle soup. Like whenever I got sick, I just wanna have like a noodle soup. Um like a fried noodle, all type of noodle. And one of my friends even called me like a noodles as a nickname. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here's my other question that I think I've asked every one of my guests. Um, and and who is your diva? Mm. Mm. Can I... You can take it many different ways. Follow-up question, you mean like using another person to represent you or? Interesting follow-up question. Um, I So the way I sort of originally thought of it, though I think people can take it to mean what they want, is um, uh, like growing up, I feel like we or I used to have like um, – famous people that I used to look up to and be like, oh my God, wow, look at her. She doesn't care what people think of her, you know, or whatever it is. Um, and and so some people, when they answer the question, they'll be like, oh my goodness, Janet Jackson was my diva. Or some people will say like, oh, my diva now is like, you know, this painter who does whatever they want. Um, so I, I think you can take it either way, but it is not like a I wouldn't say it was like a, some kind of like surrogate for you. It was just more like who's like inspirational. Yeah. It's interesting that you said, you know, sounds like everyone's diva is someone who doesn't care. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's like we all want that, <laughs> you know, to be ourselves. I'm also trying to think of... Uh, you know, a celebrity or someone who just has such attitude, who doesn't care, who can like just ask things. Um, maybe just we want to be that person, <laughs> but somehow we couldn't. <laughs> totally. Maybe, maybe it's Maggie Nelson. Yeah, yeah, she totally right? could be. Um, yeah. I'm trying to think of some, you know, writers who also have like bad attitude, who doesn't care. And then immediately I'm thinking about some like male writers. <laughs> <laughs> that is predominantly <laughs> who will who will pop into mind first, probably. David Foster Wallace, or I don't know. <laughs> sure. Sure. Um, all right. Here's 
a different question. What would you say is your biggest vice? Jealousy. Ooh, that's a good one. That's a good one. And I, I, I really respect the, the honesty there. <laughs> I'm still... Because it's, it's not a sexy vice. <laughs> it's not a sexy one. <laughs> I, I'm working on that. And um, yeah, I, I start to also understand, you know, like where it comes from, why. I mean, eventually it's that kind of insecurity or that the comparison um, then just kind of ask yourself why I know it's not a pleasant feeling and it's not even like a pleasant thought if I you know if I start doing that I should stop there then why uh, what's what's the 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 pleasure part that could me you know like wanting to finish that thought or finish that comparison um, so yeah that's a good one. Um, okay, here's my last sort of random question, which I'm pretty into, and so I think I'm going to ask it from now on. How did you picture your life at this age when you were young? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, at the residency, I just had my birthday, and this year also, it's kind of exactly a year, you know? Um, so... I've been thinking about that a lot um, as well. I definitely, I guess I definitely thought like, or sort of promised myself more when I was younger, especially when you're a teenager and you just feel like the whole world is out there and I, you know, want to do so many different things and thought your life would be in a certain way. Um, and actually just recently I was having a conversation with a friend and we we're talking about anxiety and frustration of, you know, like not being able to move things, certain things forward and feel like why there's this stuckness. And he said something that probably things are not going to be the way that you expect them to be. And the things that actually will happen, it's probably totally out of your imagination. And I think about that and think about, you know, in the past 10, 15 years, I realized that that's so true that none of the things, you know, like the city I end up living or the person I end up being with or the things I end up doing, um, you know, none of these were sort of my original plan or expectation. Um, and also, like you said earlier about having a child, I'm also wondering about, you know, that. I just feel that's so much uncertainty and in a way that's very promising, hopeful, but in, you know, on the other side, it's just so scary <laughs> that you will really just is. have to wait and see. And yeah. I'm also just learning to accept that um, to feel again, often, you know, like have a pat on your shoulder saying you're actually doing okay. Um, even though it's not, you know, what you pictured to be. 
Yeah. Yeah. So you, would you say that you're like close to what you thought? Cause you're like out in the world, like far away from where you grew up and in a big city. Like, I think in a strange sense, I feel I'm just like slowly to learn how almost the question, you know, who am I? Because to me, it's, um, I feel my life is kind of like a split into half in a way that, you know, I grew up in a very different environment and spoke in a different language. I had a different mentality or understanding of the culture or what the culture expected of me. And in that way, you kind of, you know, that self, like a definition of who I am, who I will be. And I think, you know, when I was 18 and everything kind of switched around and also with sort of the trauma happened that around that time, it's almost now like a different person, but I'm still trying to figure out, you know, after all, I'm only here, you know, for almost 13 years. It's almost like I'm being a 13-year-old and just trying to figure out who I want to be in the next five, 10 years. What do I want to do in life? And there's still kind of like a wide open question. Um, yeah, but like I'm learning. <laughs> I just like learning to, <laughs> you know, do things. Um, it's like, like, you know, at the beginning we talk about the Tennessee. Um, it's just to feel like I haven't learned how to do like things in life like you know like cooking it's something once you learn you realize oh it's actually kind of easy but if you don't know how to do things you just don't know like a couple weeks ago we're trying to my partner and I were trying to like just build a shelf but we don't know how to do that and it sounds so embarrassing (laughs) But we tried and like leave a bunch of holes on the wall. Like, why is this list still wobbly and doesn't work? But I just feel there are so much things to learn and to just, you know, be a better person or more capable person, um, more honest person. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm always fascinated by people who are kind of like bored. I'm like, there's too much to do. <laughs> Yeah. Um, okay. My last little bit, I want to ask you about your time here. And I was just at the cafe, um, which there's now a cafe here. Oh. Um, I know it's so nice. And and I ran into some people and I was like, Oh, I'm I'm talking to G today. And I I talked to Sarah and she had talked to you, I think, because you were writing an essay about community at the time. Right. Um, And so I wanted to ask um, if you could talk a little bit about your experiencing out here on the island. Yeah. And please say hi to Sarah. Um, She and her family are just so nice and kind to kind of like, you know, host us and uh, took us to a trip and... Also, just when that period of time, like nothing is open, like nothing sort of, is, you know, out there for us to do besides <laughs> our own thing. Um, I know. Yeah. I, you know, just really appreciate 
the time and the space and the quietness, which I think, you know, as a New Yorker, it's just more important than anything else. And there's also something about like physically being in an open space um, that somehow you know helps you like calm your mind or open up your mind. Um, like the very short essay I share with you, you know, like a short snapshot of childhood boarding school experience. I don't think I would have written that or wanted to write about that. It's basically the editor asked me, you know, just within a thousand word, very short, um, write anything on the subject of childhood, anything. Um, and again, you know, there are so many possibilities. And I feel that if I were in a different location or if I, you know, stay in the city, I probably would have picked something different. I'm so glad I, you know, wrote about that because the That's space... That's really interesting. <laughs> yeah, because I feel like um, so often... Um, Nate, Claudia, and I are, are trying to articulate to other people like why residencies are important or like what is it that they really do and to hear that like, oh no, like I could have only kind of accessed and given myself permission or found this thing to write about in this particular circumstance. I feel like that's that's what it's all about. Yeah, yeah. It's It's, you know, I used to... I guess enjoy walking in New York and because sometimes while you're walking, just the different things come into your mind. And if you haven't been able to do that, just because it's, you know, all the upset things happening, like, you know, the anti-Asian hate crime and things. And actually this is not sort of relevant or related, but um, last September, I was attacked on the street. No. No. Um, yeah, it's very upsetting. Um, and I think of what, you know, I, I wasn't sort of that person just like deliberately walked in front of me, like hit me and then like pushed me. And I wasn't like, you know, like physically injured um, terribly. But it's scary anyway, because you just don't know in that moment how it's going to go, right? Yeah. Like, oh, are they going to hit me again harder? Or like, are there more people involved? It's like you end up kind of like um, this like mutual idea of like public safety becomes completely questioned. And exactly. then you start to have like very valid and disturbing, you know, sort of like, um, you know, just going outside doesn't become this like easy thing. Exactly. You totally get it. It's, it's the thing that... Um, yeah, you know, like later I you know, file a police report and anything. But I think it takes really just months for me to, I think weeks after that, I just didn't want to go out. I was sort of very angry, but also just didn't want to go out. Um, and even now, it, like you said, it just feel it could happen. And then there's something in your mind that you just feel between like, say, walking around exploring things um and staying home and then there's always part of me feel like better be safe than sorry you know like i, I would just uh... no. oh no i'm so 
I'm so sorry this happened. It's like really, really fucked up. Um, yeah, we need to get you a big dog. Let's get you a right. Big That's dog. now you understand why I'm <laughs> thinking about having a dog. <laughs> We're going full circle here to the beginning, and now I'm like, oh, you need a big dog. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I mean, also right after that happened, part of me just feel I just don't even want to live in the city uh, even though it's you know I lived here for seven years at this point it's kind of just part of my identity um, but going back to the residency time and I think when you're in the sort of very relaxing and safe environment and the feeling you know the community supported you like all three of you you know cook dinner for us and kind of just like whatever we want, it feels like not real, like in a different world. Um, that kind of set up this, you know, that I, I feel I, when I think about that prompt, I was like, okay, that's something I haven't thought about for a long, long time. But I felt okay to, you know, write about that episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's so awesome. I I feel really um, excited to hear that because I think, um, you know, we we just want people to um, to feel safe and to feel like they can like be vulnerable and get into their work. Um, and I think when you don't feel that way, that doesn't it just like is um, it makes being creative kind of impossible. Yeah. I also think there's something magic about, you know, being shipped to an island and stay there for six weeks. Um, That, like, the separation from the mainland, almost like a separation from your, all the stuff going on in your life. And then, I don't know, I just really like, you know, like taking the ferries, you'll remember that day or taking the ferry, arriving on island. It's such a almost like part of the ritual that you arrive into this new place and it's an island completely isolated from, you know, the rest of the world. Um I really like that. Um yeah, I think that's something unique about your residency. Yeah, I mean, I think there is something very um, mental about about being on an island. I think like there's something that like changes in your mindset. Yeah. So I I'm always trying to figure out like, well, what is it exactly? Um, but <laughs> uh, thank you so much. This was so fun. Oh, uh, it's such always a really really good conversation with you and yeah I it's just a really just appreciate this yeah i want to ask you um about you know after receiving the email from nate like i definitely want to write trent email but then that email just could never finish and like i would just talk <laughs> to you here um yeah is that something you always you know are thinking about doing um pursuing a different degree or it's so funny um uh, what we're talking about is uh I'm going back to school for um landscape architecture yeah uh to get my second master's because apparently one is not enough (laughs) Um, (laughs) 
<laughs> um, I think that for a long time, um, I had been following what I had perceived as the rules of um, the like contemporary art world, where it's like, okay, you're a painter. And that's all you are. And that's what you're going to like do. And you're going to wait your turn. And when someone picks your number, you're going to like people will pay attention to you. And I think that I had been like following that for a while. And then um, COVID and being out on the island for over five years, I think I just started to um, let in some of the other interests that I had been pushing out and saying like, it's not allowed to combine with my art interests, right? Like my interest in horticulture or ecology, like it's not allowed. (laughs) And so um, I just let it all in. And I started to think about what I really um, thought I wanted to spend more time doing and learning. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is it. And at first, of course, I was like, no, I was like, this is crazy. I was like, this is, you know, am I any less of an artist because I'm doing it? So I definitely went through a lot of that. Um, But then uh, I applied and I got in and then I got, I even got a scholarship. Wow. Yeah, I'm really excited. Um, and, And to the point of what we were talking about before about like, you know, um, following that, like, I don't know, like, invisible thread right. of of something i i think um i wouldn't have been able to get there like to have applied and like opened myself up to some of this stuff if i wasn't here you know it's like really the act of living here is what led me there so i feel really grateful um for my time at this job and for Nate and Claudia and and for all the artists because um i don't know i just wouldn't have found myself where I am now without all that you know right that's so amazing um (laughs) but I do feel old I feel like I'm going back to school as an old person (laughs) (laughs) no it's kind of amazing that I keep hearing you know during the COVID and lots of people make changes in life because it kind of gave us that kind of like forced us to right to have that talk between different selves everyone was on their own residency (laughs) (laughs) right and it's also interesting um I started teaching in person last semester and now every class there are a few like adult students and they were saying the same thing that you know they were doing whatever they were doing before but because COVID they're like I actually want to switch a different career and I want to go back college and get a different degree um and I kind of feel that way as well um about you know writing and where my life is going um and I that's the part I also want to ask you about you know like you feeling going back to school because I honestly a part of me also is thinking about (laughs) like you know should I apply for a PhD program um it's like it's a thought that sort of rises up every like once or twice a year and um I remember the in 2020 I actually emailed even one of my professor and asked him what do you think about 
like me pursuing, you know, there are a few、um, PhD programs that are not just English literature, but also like combined with creative writing.、Um, and then different professor give me different responses, and one of them said, "Well, I don't see how that's helpful for your writing project. You know, like learning, I don't know, like 18th century South American literature." It's, How do you think it's gonna help? You know, with your writing, and then kind of like put it off. But then last year I started thinking about again, and I just feel maybe I should give it a try anyway. And I know it's super competitive.、Um, you know, probably not gonna happen. But、um, yeah, it's just part of me feel having that you know desire to like maybe that's a thing I want to do. <laughs> Yeah, no, and like, would it be so bad to like start your PhD program and then like hate it and drop out the first semester? You know, it's like I think that like you might not know that you don't want to do it until you're in the middle of doing it. You know what I mean? It's like I don't know. That might happen to me. I have no idea. But of course, we were obsessed with success,、yeah. um, and it looking a certain way,、uh, and. And us following the rules, you know, it's like you going and doing this is like it's a little outside of like the the you're supposed to be like a contemporary author, and that's like it's against the rules, right? Right? Yeah. Or like you know, say like you have a family, and then you know you want to take your own time doing this, or feel like we're not traditional students just out of college and doing that, but.、Um, Yeah, but congratulations!、We'll、me, oh, thank you. Well, keep me posted.、Um, no pressure either way. If you want to go, I'm excited for you. If you decide not to go, I'm also excited for you.、Um, thank you. I、uh, I am excited. I hope I hope someday we get to have a collection of of essays that I get we get to read on the island at our book club. Yeah, I I hope、so、you better that as well. <laughs> You better let us know because I know that'll happen.、Um, because、uh, I don't know, I just enjoy reading your writing so much. Thank you, and thanks for you know reading my work and always asking such thoughtful, amazing questions. And I feel it's、oh, thanks kind of also such a I don't know great time for me to. You know, talk to you about it because I just feel like I haven't been able to just talk about writing and reading with anyone else. <laughs> well, it's an absolute pleasure. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend, and keep in touch via our Instagram at to the lighthouse works for any podcast or residency related news. And don't forget to check out all the additional content that accompanies each episode on our website, LighthouseWorks.us. I also want to say thank you to all the artists and writers who have come through our program. We are routinely in awe of what you do. I also owe a great big fat thank you to Nate Malinowski and Claudia De Simone. Thank you for keeping us afloat. That's all for me for now. See you next time on More Friends.